is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, it's another great day for publishing. Actually, I think it's a great time for publishing. With all the morphing and all the changes, it's never been easier, which also creates problems because there's a lot of stuff that gets out there that shouldn't be. But with the right guidance, you can create a stellar book with great ideas that can compete with just about anything that New York pushes out. With us today and back, we're so tickled to have Helen Sedwick back, who is one of the ace attorneys who really gets, who understands what's going on in self-publishing and the changing markets now. Helen is the author of the updated guide to protecting your rights and wallet, um, which is kind of the tagline here. But it's the self-publisher's legal handbook, which is something I keep in my office. And I refer to and I refer authors to all the time. Based in California, she has over three decades of experience representing businesses and entrepreneurs as diverse as wineries, graphic designers, toy makers, engineers, and we writers. Her historical novel, Coyote Wins, earned five-star reviews from really well-known reviewers and uh, coveted reviews from Forward Magazines, and was a medallion honoree, the Indy Bragg medallion um, honoree. She's also a, uh, a board member and board of advisors for the Alliance of Independent Authors and a contributing writer for the book designer, along with yours truly, and BookWords. So we're just going to jump into it because I actually have a few questions, Helen, um, that some of our listeners have forwarded to me. And people who follow my blogs when I said that I was going to be doing a legal show again. So, but with that said, welcome back. I'm glad to be here. So, and and I should say with everyone, Helen was one of the people that lost her home during the god-awful fires in California. Um, but is says she, she told me she settled back down again, so... Hopefully. Yes, it was quite quite a detour. But yeah, we're back. We're back. We we bought another house and we're moving on. Well, you have to. It's it's just really I yeah. asked my my brother also lost his house. Helen knew that and I, I asked him, so what was left? And all what was left of everything, because it was such a hot, fast moving fire, um, was a safe that was in the house and that was it. Everything else was gone. So yeah, there were a few pieces of pottery that with no glaze on them. But I have to tell you, every we, we sifted through and everything we found was a treasure because you think you've lost everything. So if you find just a little something, it was really special. But it's amazing how destructive those fires are. Yeah, it, it just, it, it is, we are in extreme climate, I think. So, well, Helen, let me ask you, what do you, it's been a while, it's been over a year since you've been on the show. What's changed in the past year? 
if anything? I would say that the self-publishing or indie authors have more choices. There are uh, more uh, vendors out there offering different menus of services uh, to take you from manuscript to published book. So in some ways, uh, although there are more services, it also means that your choices are more complicated. I think you actually have to be a, a somewhat more sophisticated consumer of these services because there are a lot of people out there who are um, trying to get you to, to part with your money. And in some cases, it's a good investment to hire some of these vendors and some of these professionals, and sometimes it's not. So I would say in some ways it's easier for independent authors to publish, but it, you always have to be smart about who you're hiring and where you're spending your money. Uh, so it's the old classic, author beware. Author beware, yes. <laughs> yes. I think because authors are dreamers, uh, yes. we tend sometimes to not be as analytical and as skeptical as we should be because that's that's contrary to a dreamer's mentality but you know, when someone start starts asking you to write checks it's time to turn that other side of the brain on and start asking questions and start asking for references mm -hmm. what are some of the key questions you'd like to see an author ask that they rarely do um what authors need to do is look at the contract i know that 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 intimidates authors. They think that contracts are like, I heard one author describe it as 5,000 words run through a blender. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, so, but you have to get past that because you, it, authors tend to fear that someone's going to steal their work if they post it on the internet. I know. No, someone could steal your work by having you sign a bad contract that gives away all your rights. So um, I've written some blog posts about this, and there are books that, that will tell you what parts of the contract to read and to translate those. And in fact, at the back of my book, I give some samples where I take the language itself and says, this is what it means. And you have to discipline yourself to look at that um, and then compare it to some other options you have, because to not look at that, you could really end up signing something uh, that you regret terribly. And it can be done. I always say to authors, if you're smart enough to have written a book, which is a hard project to do, you're smart enough to look at these contracts at these key provisions and figure out, and maybe you can't tell whether it's really good or really bad, but you can tell that it's, it's bad enough that you need to consult with somebody and not sign something. So that's the biggest thing I'd say is that read it before you sign it or click you click online when it comes to giving somebody rights to your work. Well, you know, you and I have talked about this so many times um, on, on what yeah. to look for and, and the predators, right? The, the whole predator deal. And that, I mean, I've always insisted that you make sure that you have a reversions of right clause in a contract which means that you get out and I would like to see them have at least, at least um, uh, 200, maybe even better, 300 printed books sold a year 
And then it goes back to you offering your choice that they can come up with and have and say that, all right, so this is what we've got. And we've only sold 100 books. You, the author, then has a choice. Say, you know what? I think I want to end this. And, and I rarely see, Helen, reversions of rights clauses in contracts. Yes, even and there should at least be a reversion of rights if the publisher goes out of business. That happens a lot. You get small publishers, they, 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 they just simply stop operating. And then your rights are all tied up in their assets. The other thing to look at is there's a, there's a part of this contract that's called the grant of rights clause. Uh-huh. And let's say you're working with you're working with a, just an ebook publisher that's translating your book into Spanish. You have to really look at that yeah. section because it, it may be so broad that you're giving them that you're giving them the rights to translate it in seventeen in any other language, sell it all in the world in all of their formats, and make movies and make merchandise. Now this company has no wherewithal to do any of that for you. But if they get those rights and your book is a success, they get to call the shots, not you. So you have to make sure you're not giving more rights away than this publisher or provider can actually use to your benefit. And most contracts, even with little tiny publishers, will have extremely broad grant of rights clauses that are really inappropriate in the context. And it's okay to, to say that. Con- uh, authors often feel like, oh, they're going to think I'm ungrateful. No, you're not ungrateful. You're smart. <laughs> you're grateful and smart. And it's okay to look at these provisions, ask questions, get help, and make them appropriate to um, the context. You know, if it's a small publisher, you want to hold on to your film rights or you want to hold on to your translation rights because they can't take, they can't provide you any value. You might be able to get somebody else to make the movie or translate and do a better job. I think the only time that they are worthwhile to have that kind of thing in there is if they really do have a track record of selling rights of um, whether they're foreign rights or movie rights. Otherwise, you're better off to contract with a separate agent if that's what they do exactly. I agree. And and it's something a lot of authors don't think about. They don't think beyond the first, they don't think about beyond print books. But there mm-hmm. are so many opportunities beyond the print book now. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You've got You've got characters with legs on them they can you can get more books and more ways to bring them to life well you know also helen with the expansion of audiobooks that have just you know really grown um what, almost 30 percent a year over the last several years and it's still you know less than ebooks but you know what the ebook pros are saying that within three years they expect audiobook sales to eclipse ebook sales that's amazing. So, yeah. So, what's your if you're if you're signing on with anyone, do they have the contractual rights for your for your audiobook? Maybe you don't want to do that <laughs> with with what's going on. Yeah, if they don't have the experience of doing audiobooks and they don't have a track record as you said, then hold on to those rights. 
find somebody that does have that track record or do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. All right. We're going to take our first break here. We're going to be back with Helen Sedwick. And I want to talk to her about some um, characters. Okay, Helen. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Is there a book in you? Or another? Author You shows you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked. If you already have a book out, you will find a supportive and brainstorming community that is connected and creative no matter where you live. Author You brings in national experts for its book camps and annual Author You Extravaganza. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author You's extensive network, members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. Author You is the premier authoring resource in the country, creating community, education, guidance, vision, and success for the serious author. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, Author You is for you. Timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted on its social media platforms. And it is free. Discover Author You, where authors go to become seriously successful. Join Author You today at authoryou.org. First impressions are everything in the world of book publishing. Whether your book is an ebook, a print version, or both, your book cover needs to pop sizzle and sparkle to immediately capture the attention of your audience and your book's interior needs to be just as dynamic and reflect the professionalism your readers demand nick selinger of nz graphics has won numerous national and international book awards for his cover designs and interior layouts with over 20 years of experience in graphic design he knows what it takes to create award-winning books and the many promotional pieces that authors need such as posters, banners, postcards, one-sheets, business cards, logos, and more. Visit ncgraphics.com and see what authors and publishers have to say about their award-winning books and how NZ Graphics can make your book the success it was meant to be. That's nzgraphics.com. Are you confused about publishing options? Do you know which printing option is best for your book? Does your stomach flip when you think about selling books? Or do you feel overwhelmed with what to do about book marketing and publicity? Get the answers and much more. Get them and from someone who knows publishing inside and out from both the traditional and independent sides how to make a successful book. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand and platform, and is a success, a bestseller. It is your choice. You choose. If you want author and publishing success, you want Judith Bryles as your book coach. Sign up for her weekly blogs and e-zine at thebookshepherd.com. 
to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. With me is Helen Sedwick. She's the author of the Self-Publisher's Legal Handbook, a book that, and make sure you get the second edition. Um, It's a book that I think that everybody should have on their reference um, shelf, the one that's the closest to you, because you will be referring to it back and forth um, all the time. So it's just it's just so important. One of the great things is indie authors are stronger than ever. Between indie and self-publishing authors, we are outselling in total book production what the major New York houses are doing. So, and there is not the stigma that the whole self-publishing market had just five years ago. So, so times are changing. But Helen. What's changed, if anything, in, with copyrights or things that we sometimes take for granted that we should pay attention to? Uh, people have a misunderstanding about copyright. They think it's more complicated than it is. And the good news is, is seldom I get to say this about legal issues, but copyright is pretty simple and straightforward. As soon as you put your work into writing on a piece of paper or onto a computer hard drive, uh, if you own the copyright in that work, many people think that you still have to publish it or you have to register the copyright or you have to mark it. None of that is required anymore. The copyright's automatic as soon as you create the work and you put it into tangible form. You own the rights to that work. So that's something that's changed over the last 30 years, but it's amazing how many people aren't aware of that. Now, in the copyright lasts, another thing that's changed is the copyright lasts for a very long time. The writer's lifetime plus 70 years in the United States, 50 years in some other countries, but it's still a very long time. And although registration with the U.S. Copyright Office is not required, it's a good idea because it creates a record of what your work looked like at a particular day. And if you ever do have to sue somebody for infringement, it's the first step towards enforcing your rights. Mm-hmm. So it, copyright has gotten, gotten easier. Um, now, people tend to worry that if they post their work online, uh, you know, their blog that's going to get stolen. Uh, in some cases, that will be true. It probably, what I pay, say to authors is, it, uh, unless you're, you have a bestseller, um, it, it's probably not, if people using your work is probably not going to have a big economic impact on you. The people who steal work that are really pirating books, they're pirating bestsellers because they can make money more easily that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are going to be people out there that take your work and you could spend a lot of time chasing them down and sending them emails, or you can just accept that as being part of the new world and just keep writing and just um, consider it flattering in a sense that somebody likes your work well enough to borrow it that way. Well, I think what the savvy author needs to do is that they just can't publish one thing and then sit back. Um, They have to keep supporting that work 
And they do that with blogs and all their social media and maybe other future articles that refer back to it. So their name stays up there even when it gets picked up. And if someone, um, I, mean, I, I can't remember, I've gone brain dead here. Um, some of the, the common, which we all do it, right? Um, that some of the old common uh, uh, places where you can just copy in text and see if it's printed out there already, you may pop up that way. But you, you've got to keep out there and stay visible. I think that's what I think that's really important. And I know some people say, Helen, that, well, absolutely, they want to push my work out. It's going to pick up and it's going to connect back to me somehow because I'm just out there all the time. So, Yes. And if it really does bother you, there are now all kinds of apps out there, plagiarism apps and what are called takedown notice apps so that you could. You could subscribe to services that are going to keep searching the internet for when your work pops up on somebody else's site. And you could chase this down or you could just keep track of it. Uh, but I do, I do think for writers, it's more important to just keep moving forward, keep writing, keep developing that relationship with your readers, keep perfecting your art. Uh, that's going to be much more satisfying than playing a game of whack-a-mole with these <laughs> with these internet companies, um, it, it just, it's an allocation of resources. None of us have all the time that we want. So spend it writing and spend it developing that rapport with your readers. Mm -hmm. okay, um, Helen, do you recommend that once the, your, your manuscript is completed and published that they go ahead and register the entire thing with the Library of Congress? Yes, I do. I yes, think I it's, simple. It costs $35. You can fill the form in online and you send in two copies of your book. Uh, it's, it, if, if nothing else, you'll sleep a little better at night knowing that you've registered this right. And if it ever, if it becomes very valuable, you have, you've taken a very strong step towards enforcing your rights. Plus, if you do it within three months following the first publication of your book, you'll be able to uh, put in a claim to recover attorney's fees if you have to sue somebody. But even if you miss that three-month deadline, it's still worth doing. It's, it's a cheap uh, investment. Yeah, and you're talking about um, attorney fees treble if you get it done. Isn't that correct? Uh, say that again. You garbled a little bit. My, my understanding is that if you if you get it filed when you you know within that window, that if there is any infringement and you do pursue it and you are successful, that you can get as much as treble on attorney fees. Is that you can re recover a lot, and you can recover a lot without having to prove what your lost sales were, which is a very oh, difficult oh, thing oh, to oh. do. You know, just say what your sales would have been hypothetically. So it's oh, absolutely oh, well. worth it to do it in the first three months. Uh -huh. But I don't want people to feel that they shouldn't do it if it's been three years. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. it's, it's something to add on your checklist when you're when you're self-publishing your book. Add to your checklist that once you get those printed copies back from uh, Ingram Spark or uh, Amazon, whoever's printing your books, that you get online and you uh, walk through the registration process and you send two copies in. It's 
there are people who have blog post, have blog posts out that will actually walk you through and uh, YouTube videos on how to register it, how to go through the form online. But it's pretty straightforward. Most people can do it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's really important, and and I'm assuming that those three months. Um, is it three months when you first have a book in hand, or is it three months from your publication date? Is there is from there your, from the publication? Well, from the date that you first release it when you to form the public for sale? Okay, so formally so the release date. Your release date. All right, so that's something you should all do. And and I know I went through a Helen experience where actually I had taken back rights of one of my books from McGraw Hill. And they continued to sell the book after um, we had, they had said, you know, the sales are done and we're done, which is what they used to do in the old days. And, and I had taken back the rights of it. And then I discovered later they continued to sell foreign rights to France and Belgium and Canada and, and other places and it never gave me a nickel. Now, I could have gone after them, but that's when, you know, time had elapsed. And I couldn't prove what they had sold, what they had gotten. I mean, it would have been a nightmare for me. So I just tell everyone, don't deal with McGraw-Hill. You you did that. Litigation can really consume your life. So I often discourage people from going into litigation, it's better to have a business discussion with them and say, I could sue you, but let's work out a business deal and everyone move on with their lives. Mm-hmm. I, I do that in all, all my businesses, all my business clients. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I still, I still quote too with some of the things that you said from the last podcast that we did about um, when we were talking about steps to starting in business, whether we get to that or not today, I don't know, but I, I'm still quoting because people, you know, how do I set up my publishing company? How do I protect myself, et cetera? But I want to talk about characters um, and things that and, and using real people in your writing or you think you're disguising real people in your writing. So I guess the question is, how do we say how does an author stay out of deep do do here? Does that make sense? And you know what? We're just going to have to just open this up because we have one minute to our next commercial. Okay. Uh, I'll give you the good news. If you're writing positive information about somebody, you don't need to worry about the legal issues or get consent. Well, then you're talking about that information that you need to start worrying. All right. So let's, we'll save that part for the next, (laughs) the next segment. Okay. But but would you kiss on using trademarks? We have 30 seconds here. Would you kiss on tra- trademarks using, you know, if you want to write about your heroine loves to down seven Coca-Colas a day or anything like that? Yes, quickly, it's fine to use a trademark. It, it's an incidental way like that. To kind of tell you about your characters, you know, use okay. bags and a certain, uh-huh. uh, all, that, sure. all that's fine. All right, we're going to come back. Yeah, hold on. We're going to come back with Helen Sedwick. We're talking about legalese in your writing for both fiction and nonfiction. It's Author You, your guide to book publishing. is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. 
We'll be right back with more great information right after these. Discover the power of you and your book at the Judith Bryles Unplugged event. Each summer, Judith Bryles Book Marketing Unplugged unfolds over three intensive days working with just Judith. You get publishing strategies, author and book platforms, book marketing panache and pizzazz, and authoring tools to take you and your book to rock star success. In the fall and winter, Judith Bryles Speaking Unplugged includes Judith as your coach and mentor during two powerful days. You will learn how to structure a speech, how to create openings and closings, how to find gigs that pay you and sell your books, and you will get one-on-one coaching. Go to thebookshepherd.com and click on the events tab to learn how to participate at the next Unplugged Workshop event. Ned Thompson and Harry Shore started Thompson Shore in 1972. They believed employees with great character would make up the best company. They were right. They hired people who were not only experts in bookmaking, but who were obsessed with quality and delivering exceptional customer service. Almost 40 years later, Thompson Shore remains a 100% employee-owned company. Ned and Harry knew that successful customer projects are a direct result of empowered employees. We specialize in all books for large and small publishers. Creating beautiful and well-made books, we're dedicated to pleasing our customers by making the experience a good one from start to finish. The personal touch we have with our customers allows us to be innovative in solving their most difficult challenges. Our platform also ensures that we can remain flexible to meet our customers' unique needs and expectations. Our marketing kit can create buzz for your title, enhancing the promotion of your book during infancy. When you need to test the market to gauge your future sales, we can provide digitally printed books that will transition seamlessly into a larger offset run. From ebook to hard copy to delivery, our skillful customer service teams are at the ready to answer your most pressing questions. At Thompson Shore, we know that making the highest quality books requires more than just best technologies. It requires superior customer service, professionalism to the trade, and commitment to environmental and social values. With these standards of excellence in place, you can be sure that we will always help you put your best book forward. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. All righty. So we are talking legal-related things. Helen has given us official approval. So Helen Sedwick, who is the... Um, our one of our, our chief uh, legal residents we go to. She is the author of the Self-Publishers Legal Handbook, second edition. And again, I highly recommend you all get that. Just go to Amazon and click the magic button and get your copy. Um, and this is one, by the way, I would recommend paper because that you're going to write in it <laughs> because that's what we do. Um, the, we were talking about trademarks very quickly. And basically what Helen was saying is you can do just about anything, um, in your writing that supports the scene, etc. 
And I guess it would be good if, as long as it's not negative, should we say that on that one too? Helen? Yes, let me elaborate a little bit. Yes, I would agree. It, it's that if you're going to be uh, uh, doing something that's very negative about the trademark, like someone getting food poisoning from, let's say, a fast food restaurant, <laughs> then I would make up a new name, okay? Because yeah. that yeah. will get their attention, um, <laughs> even if it's in a work of fiction. The other thing is, don't make it appear as somehow your book is related to that product. Uh, that will also get their attention if you're kind of trying to piggyback on a product. Uh, but if it's an incidental mention that's part of developing your characters, showing their taste, their economic status, things like that, those are fine. Now, I will tell you that certain publishers, big publishers, might want you to take out uh, those trademark references because their lawyers won't let them take those chances. But that's that's because they're risk adverse, not because you, you can't do it. You know, in fact, many times it's very good to do it because it gives us a shortcut. But Judith, you and I were talking a little bit about lyrics. The rules for lyrics yes. are quite different. Oh yeah, lyrics are protected by copyright, not trademark. It's a different beast. And with lyrics, they're usually owned by music companies, and they can be very aggressive about protecting their rights to use lyrics. Mm -hmm. And writers like to use lyrics because it, for the same reasons they use trademarks, it can set the scene, it can tell you a lot about a character. Lyrics, it's perfectly fine to use the title, and you can use the name of the artist, but if you're going to be using the words of the lyrics, uh, you you need to, it would be prudent to get consent, uh, permission. And I get this question so often that I actually have on my website a, a downloadable handout, so like 30 pages long that tell you when you need permission, how to get it, what, it, you know, what to ask for, and it's called uh, How to Use Memorable Lyrics Without Paying a Fortune or a Lawyer. So it's free on my website. I have the same thing for using images because It'd be too many details for you and I to go through now. No, and it's I, so. I you know that we've gone for lyrics written to them, and we've we've tracked down who owns them. And a lot of times, it's most times it's music company, but sometimes it's estates and things where they have passed. And that we actually uh, we laid out the book and we put in where we wanted to use them, and we sent them the chapter we wanted it in. They were tickled pink that they could see exactly how they were going to be used. And they came back within within 48 hours with this is what it will cost you. And it was like $150. It was very reasonable. And it was just really important to have these lyrics in the in this guy's book. So, but plan on it, I think, is what both Helen and I are saying. And if, if you if you can't, won't put the time and energy into tracking down who the owner is and getting permission, then take them out. That's simple. Yeah, take them out. Use the, use the title or describe how your character is responding to the lyrics. You know, you'll have to find another way to capture that moment without somebody else's words. You have to use your own words. And, and, and that's, that's an amen here. All right, so Helen, let's talk about writing a little bit because um, that, that a lot of times, my, my thing is, unless you're, writing real horror, some of the, the, the para fantasy that I see that comes across my desk, 
that a lot of times people write about things that they know really well because they were involved in it. And it could be a massive family or a business conflict um, in a situation that's gone really south on them. And now they want to juice up their writing and incorporate some of that, or maybe they want to write about it and they're trying to disguise it. What, what do you suggest here? Okay. Uh, you need to learn a little bit about uh, two issues, defamation and then disclosure of private facts. And you need to take the time to learn about it. The good news is the First Amendment uh, is, favors writers and it favors writing about uh, things that have happened, discussing them. Um, uh, but there are limits. So, uh, for instance, defamation is a false statement of fact about an identifiable living person that's published and causes reputational harm. That's a mouthful. Um, and all those get parceled out. So if you, it, it, you have to, as the, as the information becomes perhaps more damaging to other people, you need to consider how reliable is your memory? What kind of support can you get from, from other people or from court documents? Um, is this person's reputation already so harmed? Like if you're talking about somebody who abused you as a child, if they already are in jail for child abuse, you're not going to hurt their reputation, but they're disclosing this information. So there's a number of factors. Uh, and what's good for writers is it's the target that has to prove that what you said was false, that other people know it's them that they've been harmed by this information. So it is something to be conscious of. Um, it is something to educate yourself about, but it really ne generally needs to be extreme behavior it, that you're discussing. Same with private information. If you are going to be disclosing something that's true, but it's incredibly private and could be quite damaging to the an identifiable person, then you need to step back and, and learn more about the topic and ask yourself some questions like, how important is it, this information to my overall message and story? May I, can I change enough characteristics about the person or situation so the person's not identifiable to third parties? It doesn't matter whether the target identifies themselves. It has to be identifiable to third parties. Um, am I being vindictive? Because often if your motive is being vindictive, it's not going to be a very good book you're writing. <laughs> it's often better to write uh, with all the anger, but then edit from a place of more objective emotions. You'll probably end up with a more universal and better book. Uh, there are just a bunch of factors that the more damaging the information is, the more you should consider and get familiar with the issues. And if it's a really a book that's way out there and going after big government, big oil, big pharma, pharma or something like that, you may also want to consult with an attorney to have them really look at the most potentially damaging part of your manuscript. Because, especially as an independent publisher or self-publisher, 
if they do go after you, are you going to be able to have the pockets to help take care of it? Um, you, there are, there is insurance called Media Perils Insurance, and if you're writing a high-risk book, uh, you're going after some deep pockets that could hire attorneys to go after you. It's worth looking into insurance. The beauty of insurance is that they hire the attorneys and deal with a lot of the headaches. Um, it could be you have no money and they, you know, so what? Someone sues you. Or it could be someone sues you and the book becomes a bestseller because of it. I mean, that does happen. That publishers, we know a lot of these things about that come out of the White House that are so, that should be potentially damaging. Um, the publishers don't care if someone's going to threaten to sue them. It will just help them sell more books. So I guess what I'm doing, I'm doing the legal thing is like, it all depends. It's a favorite answer for attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what I actually want to kind of end on that topic with is these are not issues to think about while you're writing the book. These, I mean, worrying about the legal issues. These only come into play if you're going to publish the book. If you start thinking about these legal issues while you're writing, it becomes a form of self-editing, and it's going to inhibit the process. So well, put those aside while you're writing. And yeah. when, you're, when you get through a few drafts and you're really seriously thinking about publishing, then you'll have more... You'll be more. You'll know what your story's about, and you'll be better able to look at your story and decide what risks you have to take for the story, and what risks you can mediate by changing characteristics or maybe even editing things out. I especially encourage people who are survivors of abuse who are writing about that to put aside fear of legal issues because often victims of abuse have already internalized this message that they're not allowed to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to add to that message that they're not allowed to talk about it. They are allowed to talk about it. But before you send it out to a publisher, let's take a look at it to make sure um, you reduce the risk as much as possible. I, I am actually working on one of those kind of books right now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, you know, and, and and what happens if you write about these things and and the parties are dead? Then you're good. You come back. You may speak ill of the dead. You're out, you may speak ill of the dead because defamation and privacy claims die with a person. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. The book shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing, and so must you. You need an experienced shepherd and guide to collaborate with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. 
publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You do not need more problems. You want solutions. Dr. Judith Riles will shepherd you through the maze and chaos. At times, she has had to step in and rescue a book, a book that has been sabotaged by a publisher, by a publishing service provider, and sometimes even by the author. If you want author and book success, connect with her today at thebookshepherd.com. At Total Printing Systems, customer service is our priority. We are located in Southern Illinois. Our employees have an average of 18 years experience and know that customer relationships are important to our continued success. We have been a short-run book printer for nearly 40 years and always stay at the forefront of technology. Our niche is from 1 to 5,000 copies. Today, we offer digital black and white and four-color high-speed inkjet printing, a cost-effective way to introduce color into your short-run titles. We, of course, offer traditional offset printing as well. Bindery is done in-house, from adhesive case binding to PUR perfect binding to mechanical binding of all types, including side sewing. We provide warehousing, kitting, distribution, inventory management, a new print-on-demand facility, streaming browser-based ebooks, and bookstore. Call us at 1-800-465-5200 for a quote on your next book project. You can also visit our website at www.tps1.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. With me is Helen Sedwick, and she is the author of the Self-Publishers Legal Handbook, the second edition now. And uh, off air, we were talking about the recent um, and, and, you know, revelation about Jeff Bezos and the National Enquirer, and it really kind of segued from talking about public figures. And Helen, do you want to kiss on that a little bit? Because that's where the definition, definition can come in. Yes, this is actually a classic case about invasion of privacy. That, uh, that's another claim that authors need to worry about. If you're disclosing very private facts, like your intimate photos of an identifiable living person, uh, that's highly offensive to a person of ordinary sensibilities, that can be a problem unless it's of public interest, which is a huge loophole. And of course, uh, you know, these uh, smut papers are going to say that what Jeff Bezos does in his love life is of public interest. So they were actually probably completely fine in publishing those pictures, depending on how they were obtained. But their problem is they threatened him that they would publish them unless he uh, Back said off. that yeah. the publication was not politically motivated. So, so that threat of you know releasing these intimate photos unless he did something that they wanted, that I think, I'm not a judge in this and a criminal lawyer, but that sounds criminal to me. And I'm, I applaud him for Jeff Bezos for uh, standing up to it and having the guts 
to uh, call them on that threat. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of interesting, and I bet you there are a lot of celebrities that are jumping up and down in support because they get hit with this all this all the time. But it, it's and yeah. it, you know, what's coming out, it looks like it was, uh, you know, not saying I don't know if this is what broke off the marriage or what. But we've got a three three people involved here. But it, apparently, it was the what, the woman's brother who leaked it. I mean, that's more that's coming out now. So I think I would axe my relationship with my brother very quickly. <laughs> or the brother like that, you know, you don't need enemies. <laughs> Boy, isn't that uh, isn't that uh, <laughs> the truth? Right. Let's move off of Jeff. But so, so your saying is that when you have family conflicts or you you are privy to disasters in corporation, you need to tread lightly. That's what I'm. You need to educate yourself, and you need to really. I mean, for instance, don't rely upon your memory. Memories are they evolve over time, and especially if it's a traumatic event, the human brain often. You know, it it manipulates our memories in a way sometimes to protect us. So you'll actually end up with a better book if you try and verify your memories. Talk to other people. See what their memories of something is. You don't have to say you're writing a book. You're just trying to figure something out. Um, you And often I hear from writers when they release these books about family trauma or even abuse, they find that actually they get a lot more support from family members than they do get anger. There's going to be people in your family who are going to come forward and say, thank you. Thank you for having the guts for finally talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, other people won't. That comes with the territory. But don't, I, don't assume that everybody's going to turn on you. Um, you may find support in unexpected places. I hear that from writers all the time, and they, they, the family members who were left out of the book are the ones who get angry. <laughs> I hear that more. Well, I've heard that more than once. Um, I think that's true. Or they, or they try to find, you know, where it is. Um, I mean, I, I do see situations. I mean, and, and again, one of the problems in America is you, you, if you get an attorney, if they, you know, if they're an ambulance chaser or whatever, I mean, anybody can sue. And that's where it gets dicey. So be careful, everybody. Yes, and if you're going, if your your target is an attorney who could just get him him or herself in court and sue you, that's it's a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just what, as I said, if, if before you publish, take a step back and think about those risks, or work with somebody, an attorney, editor who's sophisticated in this. And work through these risks and figure out which ones you you want to take and which ones you really don't need to take. Because that's what law is. A lot of times as a lawyer, I'm advising people about risks and being smart about risks. I'm, I would never tell somebody to take no risks in business or in writing because some risks you have to take. Uh, but just be smart about them. All right. So, Helen, in our few minutes we have left. Let, let's kiss on. What are some of the most common mistakes you see authors continuing to make? Um, being afraid to look at contracts, 
uh, going into collaborations without really talking through expectations with their collaborator. Uh, they just assume everything will be fine. That's like walking up to the altar and signing on with a, a spouse that you met three days before. Um, so besides saying here, you should plan the divorce before you get married. What are a couple of Yeah, a literary prenup. A literary um, prenup. Yes, exactly. So what are some of the key things that should be in that prenup? Uh, how you're going to share the work, you know, what your work styles are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, how you're going to share the profits, how you're going to share the expenses, if you're going to be self-publishing, what your vision of it is. Are you writing, uh, are you going to write a slab-dab bestseller, you know, how to lose weight and make a million dollars in three weeks, or are you writing a literary classic? Because if you and you, you and your partner have different goals and visions in mind, you, and you haven't talked about that, you aren't going to run into problems. Uh, just like any relationship, communication is key. I, there are checklists out there that kind of force you to, to talk about some of these topics that may be a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, what if you want, one of you wants to quit? What if one of, one of you dies? You know, can the other continue to do the work and, and take it the rest of the way? Um, there aren't, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just the question needs to be asked and a discussion should be had and then it should be written down. And um, I, again, I have blog posts that go through, I think, like 21 questions to ask yourself if you're going into a collaboration that will help you walk you through some of these steps. Yeah, and I think it's just really important. I, and, and all of you are listening in. I see this happen all the time. They they enter into these scenarios with the best of intentions, and then it falls apart because life gets in the way. Or they the expectations are not following through from one of the collaborators to the other, and it gets really messy, and a lot of good projects really get shot down. Right. What are some of the other mistakes? Um. Signing a bad contract, as I said, uh, not planning for, if you have a work, not including what happens to your written work in your estate plan. As I said, your copyright lasts for 70 years after you're gone. Who, who, who in your family or among your friends would be the person who would, who would help keep your work out there in the world? Um, so it's a look at, so think about your literary estate, just as you would think about your material estate. Let's see that those are the big ones and, you know, the big, and I'd say the the biggest one is people being afraid to write that they'll get sued just for writing something down and you won't get sued for writing something down. Um, it, that you know it's the publishing and even then it's a rare instance yeah here let me just add this in if any of you are listening or are contemplating entering into a publishing type of contract you're not going to be coordinating your team and you know bringing in like someone like myself that's going to help you put it all together 
um, and editors. And we all, you know, we're all working just for the author in the book. And when the project's done, you know, everything is yours type of thing. No, you're working with a, a company who is supposedly going to publish it. I'm going to advise all of you that please, please buy an hour or two hours of an attorney's time and have them go through that contract and do the shredding that it should be done or ask the questions. So, you know, if you're going to, if you sign the line, you better have your eyes wide open. That, that's, that's what I see happen all the time. They're not. What I would say is, I mean, writers worry about writing about real people. And I would, you know, let's say there are 2 million books published each year. At least, yeah. Maybe there are, maybe there are 300 uh, defamation cases that arise from the book. But tens of thousands of authors will have signed bad contracts. You, you are so much more at risk of signing a bad contract than getting sued by somebody in your book. So that's the thing. You can get help. There are all kinds of organizations. There are attorneys out there. You can, you have to uh, learn, learn to spot the issues in these contracts and get the help you need and not sign a bad contract. It, it's so avoidable. Yeah, yes, exactly. It is avoidable. But, you know, they, they get these the stars in their eyes thinking, oh, I have a publisher, I have a publisher. And really, they don't have a true publisher in most cases. What they have is a pay to publish operation because that's what that's what the, yeah. most, the breed is at this point. All right. We're going to do a wrap up. Helen, thank you so much for being with me. We should do this again more often, not wait every year, so to speak. <laughs> um, and and, and time. Yes. And I'm glad you recovered from the fire. Wait, truly, I am. Everyone, make sure you pick up Helen's book, Self-Publishers Legal Handbook, um, that it will make a difference and keep you out of some of the traps that are out here. We'll see you next week. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Each 